Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? What? Sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. (laughs) Sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. What's up, guys? My name is Mike Paul. You are listening to the Mike Paul Cast. Today, I really don't have much of a choice but to focus on politics. Um, I'm not intending to make every episode about politics. Um, I more or less want to explore topics that interest me um, and bring on people who know more than myself about them. Um, politics is one of my biggest interests, however, and it is something I follow pretty close, um, especially in the year 2020. But as of today, this is two days after the 2020 presidential election. We still don't know who won our presidential election. And it is a very, very wild, um, crazy sequence of events that have taken place in the last 48 hours. And I think this is something that historians will be writing about for decades and decades to come. Uh, regardless of the outcome. Um, Much like the year 2020 itself, it is very exceptionally different (laughs) compared to anything we've ever seen. So today, my guest is the co-host for one of my favorite uh, podcasts that I listen to called uh, Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton. This is his co-host, Matt Erickson. And I intend to have Jason on next week to uh, discuss where these sequence of events take us. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, Matt Erickson. All right, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. So this has been a pretty wild week. Um, I have several questions written down to get your take on what's going on exactly. Um, Probably won't get to them all because they're... (laughs) There's a lot to cover on each of these, but uh, what exactly is your take of what's happening right now with the presidential election? Well, the uh, the short answer would be that um, essentially it's a coup. There, the this has been set up for several months now. They've been laying the groundwork for this, and um, on the, sh- the show that I do with Jason Stapleton, Wealth Power and Influence. We did an episode a couple of weeks ago about uh, what's called a color revolution. And essentially it's a way that uh, the, the American national security state executes regime changes in countries where they have decided that they don't approve of the, whoever's the, the current president or, or the leader of that country. And 
it's kind of so with they have their, their normal regime change model that they've used in, you know, say Iraq or Iran or you know some of these other places. And it's a little less those those countries I, I guess have a little bit less of a like a formal government structure. And so they they can go about it a little bit differently there. But when they're when they get into more of the Western style democracy, um, like in Eastern Europe, they they have to take a little bit of a different tack. And so they they actually have a literal playbook that they use for this. And it involves um, engineering a contested election scenario and um, setting up ahead of time um, a situation with quote unquote peaceful protests. Those are the actual terms they use, peaceful protests, where uh, they they use uh, this, this term called uh, uh, astroturfing, where you, you make it look like there's a grassroots movement coming up, but it's really something that's been orchestrated from the top down. So they get, they pay people off various leaders within different movements and they get riots out on the streets and they call them peaceful protests. And the way that they're able to do all of this is, is through controlling the media. And um, if you control the media, you get to, if you control the information flow, then you control what people believe. And so then what they do is they engineer a contested election scenario and they set it up so that when the, 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 the president who they're skewing the election against, when he starts responding to the, uh, the, 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 the contested election, essentially, then uh, the media runs with the narrative that this is a like an authoritarian dictator who is not allowing a free and fair election. And then if he starts cracking down on the violent rioters or if he starts um, like trying to, to, to ensure that the, the voting is being done um, honestly, then it's framed as him meddling in the election. And, uh, and then from there, they're able to, to depose him. And so they've, they've used this, this uh, system this, there's a literal, literal playbook that's been written by a guy named Norm Eisen. They've used this in uh, Ukraine, they used it in Belarus. It's an actual tech, an actual, actual specific American national security state technique that they've used. Um, so then in this case now, they've turned that, um, that tradecraft domestically. They've turned it on the domestic area here. And um, what's fascinating is that the people who have specialized in doing this for, I mean, it, it's kind of an open secret now that the American uh, government, you, you know, the national, the, the, like the permanent bureaucracy, that they engage in um, targeted actions against uh, foreign governments to overthrow them. That's kind of been just generally accepted, even if they won't um, necessarily acknowledge it. The people that have been participating in all of that just so happen to be the people who um, populated all of the roles in the Russiagate conspiracy. That's why there was such an influence on Ukraine, because these are the, this, this, the same people. They basically just copied and pasted all of their templates and just applied it here. It's everything they would have been doing in, in a country over there. Like say in Ukraine, they've been um, Russia would have been the big bad guy. They just used the, the exact same templates here. Um, so it's the exact same people who were who were involved in all of it. And uh, so, so if you want to learn more about the, the color revolution, just search color revolution revolver.news. Um, they've done several pieces over there. You can learn a little bit more there. But that's essentially what I see happening here. And, and we've seen it coming for several weeks that this is what they were going to be doing. They were going to set up um, they, the, the coronavirus, whether you think it was just an organic thing that, that began or not. I, I don't I completely have my mind made up on that. But the coronavirus created the circumstances for uh, mail-in voting widespread mail-in voting. And people like Trump and a bunch of other people have been, have been talking about uh, the potential dangers of mail-in voting for a long time because there's a difference between mail-in and absentee. And with absentee voting, you have a specific address and you reach out and you request a ballot to be sent to you and you fill out the ballot and you return it. With mail-in voting, they've just been mailing vote bomb ballots to people whether they've requested them or not.
And so a lot of those people who had the ballots mailed to them didn't vote, but those ballots, something happened to those ballots. Where'd they go? What happened with them? And then when ballots are being mailed back, there isn't a clear chain of custody for, um, you know, was the ballot actually returned? So we're getting lots, there's lots of people who are saying they're checking their website and they're saying, well, my ballot, I sent my ballot in, but it says it's never been recorded. Lots of stuff like this. So um, the coronavirus created the circumstances for this mail-in voting, which, which opened the door to being able to kind of muddy the waters and make it, um, like make it not very clear exactly how the voting, how the vote counting is being done. And so in that case, it makes it much easier to, to kind of skew the results one way or the other. Um, and so then the, the media is running cover the entire way because clearly they want a specific outcome here. Um, and so if they're able to accomplish this, if they're able to actually affect this coup, uh, then it's going to kind of dramatically change the, the, the structure of power in America. It's gonna really um, institutionalize big tech and uh, the corporate press as it's, a, it's basically a power grab by them. They're, they're installing their preferred candidate. And if they're able to do that successfully, then um, I think that it's creating a scenario where there will never be a trusted um, free and fair election again in the future. And as a, you know, if you're a libertarian or something like that, you may think that the election doesn't matter anyways. And to some extent, I agree with that. Um, but what you don't want is a scenario where both sides are um, deeply distrustful of each other and they don't trust the, the results of the election at all. Um, you don't want that level of stability and strife and chaos. And uh, it, it's just not a, a recipe for, for um, success and peace and prosperity. But so that's, that's the scenario that's, that's been building up. And um, I, you know, again, we, we kind of predicted it a long time ago and um, it's been playing out basically exactly as we predicted. And I expect it's going to continue continue going that way it's not going to get better it's not going to be a nice clean buttoned up ending i think that this is going to be a bitterly contested election and um you know the whoever the referees are in this case they're not necessarily incentivized to call it fair um so i think that it's kind of anyone's guess how exactly it's going to turn out but i suspect that um we're not going to wind up with everything just buttoning up and, and going back to the way things were before i think we're, we're, we're pretty much permanently on that point yeah that's absolutely terrifying and and like you said, it wasn't hard to see coming. Um, I've had several friends who aren't too interested in politics ask me for my take just because they know I pay a lot more attention. And I said, well, I think Trump's going to win election night and then Biden's going to take it in the post game through fraud. And right. for months, it's just you could just see it. I mean, you see the reason why Trump was not, you know, he he was the one calling out the, the dangers of mail-in uh, ballots, whereas everyone on the left was pro it's like why is it so divided why aren't they afraid that the commander-in-chief might be corrupt with the with the mail-in voting um i think the the right. obvious answer is he's not the one that's uh you know pulling the strings behind the curtain uh with what we're seeing going on um another interesting phenomenon that i see like you're saying with the media is uh all the they all use the same catchphrases and buzzwords and then even just the organic people on the ground that listen to them run around saying the same things. Like you hear the words, he's trying to undermine our democracy. You hear the word, oh, that's disinformation. Um, it's wildly debunked. And it's like, they just, they all repeat these things mindlessly with, with no actual substance to back up what they're saying. Um, is that something that, like the, the people in the media, do they know 
that they are a cog in the wheel doing this to control the narrative or do they literally believe what they're saying? That's a good question. Um, I think I think both to an extent. I think it, it depends on the person um, and, the, and their specific role in it. I think I think some of them understand full well what they're doing, um, kind of especially at the higher levels. They understand that they're 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 perpetrating a uh, that they, that their their role isn't just to be an impartial um, conduit for facts and information. That their 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 responsibility is to condition the minds of of the the electorate. And in the case of a in a democracy, you know, an ostensible democracy. Um, and and one thing I would say here, real quick, is that when I've realized that when these people say democracy, they're not speaking of a democracy necessarily in the technical sense. Right. They're not. They're not thinking of um, you know majority rule where you know fifty one percent rule the forty nine percent. They're not thinking of it in that sense. For them, democracy means um, representative government essentially. So when they say you know we need to protect our democracy, they're saying we need to protect our representative form of government from a uh, a form of government that's not representative. And that kind of clarifies things because when they, it, it, it's fascinating to me that the, the, the American left is so completely, utterly disinterested in the phenomenon of voter fraud. Because you would think if your concern is democracy, if your concern is that government is representative of the will of the people, the worst possible thing would be voter fraud. Because exactly. then the will of the people is being defrauded and it's not being accurately portrayed. So. If, if voter fraud is happening, then that representation is being taken away. Some sort of a fraud is being forced upon the people, but they, they could not possibly be less interested in it. And I think that that's revealing about their psychology. Their psychology is not remotely interested in uh, people actually having their will expressed in, through their governance. Their, their, their interest is in controlling and ruling people. Progressivism, American leftist progressivism, is a fundamentally paternalistic, um, uh, imperialist ideology. They they believe that they know what's best and that it's their responsibility. I think in some cases there's a there's kind of a benevolent sentiment to it, but it's their responsibility to rule people that they know what's best for you. They're the enlightened ones. They're the intelligent ones. They're the ones who went to college. They're the ones who have studied all the who have studied what all the experts say. Um, they're the ones who know the philosophy, who know the who have all the data, all the facts and data. And you know, other people just aren't quite smart enough or or aren't um, enlightened enough to be able to govern themselves. And so, you know, with the enlightened progressives, it's our responsibility to govern you. So. Um, so then back to your question, you know, do the, does the media understand the role that they're playing? I think to a large degree they do. Um, but I also there's this phenomenon where all of these people um, have grown up in a bubble, largely speaking. They, um, they're coastal elites, essentially. They went to public schools um, or I mean, even private schools, but they went to schools that are plugged into the American elite culture. And then went to college and spent all this time in college, which is very much like, it's it's very similar in a lot of ways to like religious uh, monasteries of the past where there's like, it's a, it's a very, very um, distinct artificial culture where um, there's a specific set of beliefs that everyone has and there's blasphemies and there's there's things that you're not supposed to think or say. And uh, the whole community is very much in love with itself, in love with its own 
um, enlightenedness. And so they've grown, come up through this bubble and everything that they've known is this what falls within the specific belief system. You know, all the, all the intelligent people all believe the same thing. They all think the same thing. They've all, all the different universities, like wouldn't, isn't it kind of strange that Harvard and Yale and Stanford, all these different schools just kind of independently arrive at the same conclusions. Yes. There's, it, it, it seems like it would be improbable that you would get that scenario yet consistently 100% of the time, all of these different universities all arrive at the exact same conclusion. This is what a, uh, there's a writer um, that I think is going to become even more relevant over the next several years. His name is, his screen name is Mencius Moldbug, but his, uh, his real name is Curtis Yarvin. He's a, a Silicon Valley um, startup founder and uh, a really, really brilliant guy. One of the most well-read people I've ever seen. And he's, he's actually the one who coined the term, um, the red, like red pilling, like okay. getting red pilled or taking a red pill. Um, he borrowed it from the matrix and, um, and then applied it to this scenario. And then, then, you know, it's kind of run away um, ever since then other people have picked it up, but he's the one who did it originally. And he also coined the term the cathedral, which is this description of this sort of consensus that's, that has, is just sort of emergent. Like there's not necessarily a top down control of the narrative. It's that all of the people who, who have created this narrative all come from the same background. They all have the same belief system and they all, um, they all interpret things in the same way. And they all want other people to believe the same things that they do. And they believe that it's their responsibility to ensure that everyone believes the same thing that they do. So it's the reason he called it the cathedral is because it begins in the universities and it very much has a religious um, nature to it. There's, it's a, it's a, it's like a religious worldview. It's a, it's a secular, it's a, like a secular theology, almost like an atheistic secular theology. And they, it, it, it begins in the universities. And then from the universities, it flows down to the rest of the education system. And then it goes out and it populates all of the news organizations. And then it goes out into Hollywood and it populates all the entertainment and academia and everything. And so it, it initially flows from the university hive mind and then populates everything else. And that, and it, it's like an engineered consensus that has a really distinct immune system that recognizes when there's some sort of a blasphemy or someone who's, who's challenging their narrative and, and seeking to undermine them. And that immune system will go into um, overdrive and immediately start attacking. And all it's like all these people are just in lockstep, even though they're not necessarily being controlled and orchestrated from the top. They've just come up within this consensus and their, their desires for everyone else to join their consensus. And that is, that's the elites that currently rule American culture. Um, it's a really, really fascinating phenomenon. And I would highly recommend reading Moldbug's description of it because he'll do a better job of it than I ever could. Um, so his, his blog is called Unqualified Reservations. Um, he's pretty long-winded. Uh, his, his blog, he ran from uh, 2007 to 2013. And I think it's, it's something like the equivalent of a dozen or a dozen and a half, like 300 word books that he wrote out in blog form, but it's all very, very worthwhile. And it will really kind of shake up your perspective of the world. Um, but I think he's right on about a lot of this stuff and especially the cathedral. Wow. Yeah. You kind of gave me a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk to you about, um, which is the way that the, uh, the authoritarian left, if you will, really goes after children. And this is something that really hits home with me that I recently experienced. Um, I have four kids. My oldest daughter is seven and she's really been getting into reading lately, which I fully support and encourage. And we live in a small 3000 person farm town in Illinois. And 
I took her to our local public library and take her to the children's section. And this is a week before the election. Their new book display that's on just showcased and featured was nothing but radical left-wing propaganda. There was a book called the green new, a green new world or something, just climate change propaganda. Um, Uncle Bobby's wedding about an interracial gay wedding. And there was a, a book called something happened in our town, something about uh, civil, you know, racial injustice. And then even a propaganda book on Kamala Harris saying rooted in uh, rooted in truth or something, which I thought was an extremely ironic title for a sociopathic prosecutor uh, rooted in justice. So I got oh, home goodness. and I was like, you know, I kept my cool and I got home and told my wife, I was like, I, I have to, I have to email them and just ask like, how is it acceptable that my tax dollars are going to indoctrinate my children to unroot everything I'm teaching them at home? So I, I wrote out a real nice, firm, but clear, uh, professional email. I didn't cuss or call any names. And they basically got back to me and told me that they're sorry I felt that way, but they can assure me there is no bias. They don't have an agenda. <laughs> I was like, you literally have the running mate of the, for the Democratic Party propaganda book up there like the week before the election how can you deny that there's an agenda here and they just kept denying that we don't see what you're seeing it was like a cult right yeah yep totally it's it's and i think in a lot of cases they honestly believe that i think that they they believe themselves when they say that there's no bias because from where they're sitting there is no bias this is these are the facts this is the this is just the reality that they've they've come up in and everyone that they know all believes the same thing. Anybody who's reasonable or, or rational all believes the same thing. So clearly it wouldn't be a coincidence that all these different people would all come to believe the same thing. So clearly anybody who disagrees is just wrong. And they're, 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 they're outside of the facts. We're the fair and partial, open-minded, rational ones. And, and, and part and parcel with that is this, um, this view of themselves as being like the pinnacle of, of the evolution of humanity that we, we are the most enlightened humans that have ever lived. We have the most knowledge. We have the, the, the greatest technology. We have the, uh, um, the most civilized culture of all time. Um, that we're, no humans have been, as, has, have been more enlightened or more, um, more cultured or more civilized than we are. And this, that's, that's something that even affected me growing up. I, I grew up very, very far from that kind of a, of a, of a worldview. I, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home, um, lived out in the country quite a bit, and um, you know was homeschooled. I wasn't really exposed to all of this that much, but even I had that. There, there kind of it's almost like factory settings. I think there's there's a, a, a comedian, a internet personality named Bridget Fetisy, and she's the one who first kind of coined that term that I heard is that these are like factory settings that we're all born with. This these beliefs and so they, they go really with they go really deep with a lot of things that even, even ideas of, um, you know, the value of representative government and the, um, you know, even, even like ostensibly right-wing people are still, you know, they'd say, well, the Republic, a, a Republic is the best form of government that there could be, um, even though a Republic is itself a democratic form of government. And so in that sense, it's then fundamentally a left-wing system of government, um, but they, they see themselves as right-wing because this is, these are the, the constraints of, this is the three by five card of opinion that we are all born into and we're all allowed to think that we're all allowed to, to um, you know, populate our minds with. And, and we're, we're conditioned to believe that anybody who strays off of that card 
you know, the further that they stray, the more radical and dangerous they're becoming. And that's like, like you, it's a cult, like that type of, of conditioning is very, very difficult to break. I think that Americanism in general, this is something that's going to be pretty challenging to a lot of people, but I think Americanism in general is very cult-like. This belief in the, the, the sanctity and wonderfulness of America and, um, the, the kind of the, the 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 myth that we've grown up with. I mean, I don't, I don't mean myth in negative term. I mean like the sure. our mythology kind of that we've we've been born and raised into with the founding fathers and all of that. Um, I, I think it's 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 not necessarily um, the whole picture. It's not the whole story because the nature of history is that the people who who win get to tell the get to tell the story of what happened. Right. So by definition, history is always going to be one-sided. There's always going to be another side, the side of the losers. And we're conditioned to believe, this is kind of a normal human thing, I think. We're conditioned to believe that the losers lost for a reason. And so what they believe doesn't really matter. We don't really need to be concerned about it. But it's just kind of strange that it just so happened that in every case throughout American history, it was always the good guys who won. You know, there was right. never the bad guys who won out. It was always the good guys. Yeah, it's always um, a that, Hollywood movie. kind of comes to be, Right, exactly. Yeah, it kind of becomes this self-fulfilling thing where it's like, well, the good guys always won. So if somebody won, they must have been the good guy because the good guys always win. And there's a lot of there, there's a lot of knowledge that we've lost. History is really just a history is a science. History is is just a, a what is it that um, I can't remember who said it was it Napoleon who said history is a set of lies agreed upon. Um, but history is just a consensus. It's just what people have agreed to say was what actually happened even you know regardless of whether it was what actually happened is what people have agreed is what happened and this people in order to to maintain the stability of a society um and to to make sure that people are controllable they need to have um a, a set of beliefs that they that are are controlled and predictable you don't want people just kind of believing anything because that makes things unpredictable and dangerous and stuff so um, there's, there's strong incentives within a civilization, within a society for, um, the people with the most power and influence in that society to ensure that the, the, the people coming up, the future generations all, um, have a predictable belief system, because if they have a predictable belief system, then they're going to continue to propagate the, the civilization that you're a part of that you have. It's, it's, it's the, I think there's just a biological aspect to it that you want to ensure that your society um, continues to prosper. So you want to make sure that the people who are going to be responsible for your society believe the same thing that you do. So it's important that you get them early on. Human beings are very impressionable, very easily conditioned. Um, we're not really, this is one of our myths that, that um, the kind of the sanctity of the individual will, um, that it's, it's important for you know, individualism and people to determine their own, their own self-interest and that kind of thing. I've been learning over the last year that people are far less capable of, of free thinking than I initially thought. I think the vast majority of people don't really have independent thought. They have conditioning and um, the conditioning is so deep that they don't even realize that it's conditioning. They just think that it's their own thoughts coming up. It's kind of like the people that are part of the cathedral. They don't realize that they're part of this basically enforced consensus. They just see it as emergent, that it just naturally came to be. And so it must be true just because if it wasn't true, it wouldn't have come to be. And that's kind of the way we think about our own thoughts. But so like you said, yeah, they have to get at the kids early on because um, if you can control what the kids think, then you can control the future of the society. Um, I think it was, I think even Hitler said something like that. He said, I don't really care 
Um, like, I don't really care who writes your laws as long as I get to, as long as I get your children or, or something to that effect. It's, it's, this has been a well-known thing throughout all of human history that if you control what the children believe, then you'll control the future of the society. So they're definitely going to be targeting kids early on. And that's why part of, to, to break all of this conditioning, it has to start within the educational systems. It has to start, the, it, it initially flows from the universities, but the first place it goes is into the education, into, into public education, even private education too, through um, through the credentialing, through the, uh, um, what do you call it? The, um, you have to be, you, to, to be uh, considered a, a proper school, you have to be certified by, right. um, by like, uh, I can't remember the term. Uh, it's a really obvious term. It's killing me that I can't remember it, but basically like, accredited you, can't, like you can't accredited. Yeah, 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 yeah. Accreditation. You can't, like, you can't just go out and just teach, teach anything at a school. You, you have to have accreditation. Um, and that's, that's a, a system of um, kind of maintaining control over the narrative, ensuring that any, res or any respectable school is going to be, be accredited. So if a school isn't accredited, it must not be respectable. So that must mean that whatever they're teaching isn't true. You know, they're teaching lies. Um, you know, they're, they're teaching, they're not teaching the actual facts. They're just teaching a bunch of things that they have agreed are the facts, which the irony is that's what all, all history, that's what all teaching is. It's just teaching a, a, a consensus of what people have agreed is going to be the case. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of, I'm kind of ranting now, but the, uh, uh -oh. that's, that's, um, that's the reason that they're going after the kids is because they, um, they know full well, whether it's conscious or whether it's, it's just a, a kind of a biological impulse. They know that they need to control the minds of the children in order to control the future of the society. Yeah. And it was so interesting because I feel like no one had ever proposed that maybe someone feels this way before they like, they could not believe that somebody <laughs> did like question that any of this stuff was anything but a fact. And it reminded me a lot of, um, I don't know if you caught when Jack Dorsey was on the Joe Rogan experience. Um, I think either this first or second time he said, you know, what's, can you guys explain your right wing bias? And there, there is no right wing bias was the answer. He was like, well, you guys will ban somebody for life if they dead name somebody who's transgender. I call them by their former name. And he goes, well, yes, because that's hate speech. And it's like, well, that's a bias. <laughs> like, you, you can't have it both right. ways. And um, it reminded me right. so much of that when the library acted the same way. Like, it's just there, there is no agenda. What are you talking about? It's just, it was so creepy. Right. Right. And, um, I want to expand a little bit upon what you said about um, – kind of it's like a religion and it sounds like we had a you and I had a very similar upbringing um, I wasn't homeschooled but I was I went to Catholic private school uh, first through fifth grade then went to public and uh, middle school um, and was raised in a very uh, Christian conservative household my dad was a hardcore right winger my whole life um, he's definitely come way more libertarian now my my brother and myself have mm. worked on him <laughs> but um but uh <laughs> I do you think the absence of a believing a higher power greater than man kind of creates like a, a vacuum where they want to fill it with some other higher power like government and that be, that becomes their god and like when you look like when ruth Bader ginsburg died it was like it was like a saint to them right like it was like a it's it so creepy to a whole new level this that everyone acted like it was it was a religious ceremony um it, is that is it their religion like the the science is just the science not literal science is the, is there god anything they want to put underneath that umbrella that the science proves you got to believe the science and it's like climate change and um like there are no genders like these are just like it's blasphemy to deny any of these issues they believe in um so i guess my question is is that is it 
their form of religion? Has it filled that place? Do all human beings crave a religion? And have they manufactured the state to be theirs? Yeah, all human beings crave a, it's uh, religion is a fundamental constituent of the human psyche. Um, religion is something that that all people participate in. It's a a uh, every, everyone has a religion. Everyone has a god. It's it would be whatever basically whatever is the um, highest order value that that you orient your life toward. Um, it, it's going to be some type of a of a some abstract principle essentially, but um, it, it it holds the same role as as say you know the role of God to a Christian, um, and they. I wouldn't even say that I would say that it's that the state plays a key role for them, but to them, the state isn't even something that exists. The state is just society. They don't see, that's why they'll say things like, um, you know, like the, the, like the government is just us. Like we're the government because right. they see, they don't see the state as a standalone entity. And, and really, I think in practice, this is an area where I think a lot of libertarian thought has fallen short where it has, it has overemphasized the state to kind of t- too much, where the concern isn't the state, the concern is the people who are within the state, because the state is, is just a tool. Um, it's like a gun, that it's just, a, it's just a, a tool that can be used by good people or bad people. And it just so happens that it's the type of tool that attracts bad people who, who generally use it badly. Um, but even then, there's all different kinds, there can be all different kinds of states. Um, you know, the, the one we have, just so happens to always tend toward corruption and malfeasance, and it, it happens to attract the worst types of people. Um, but but to the to your question, the people, um, their their religion is one of, I would say it's probably a religion of egalitarianism, um, where they they have this. It's it's egalitarianism and it's imperialism, um, and so those two things you put them together and you get globalism, and then you know I start sounding like Alex Jones. <laughs> but that's 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 where that impulse is coming from. They want to they want to completely flatten the playing field. They don't they they're uncomfortable with any form of hierarchy. They believe that everyone should be equal, and not that everyone should have equal opportunity or everyone should have equal outcome, but everyone should be equal. They they don't really and they don't really have a, an explanation for that. It's just kind of I think for them it's kind of like porn where it's like you know when you see it. So for them, it's like, well, everyone should be equal. Well, what does that mean? Well, these people aren't equal. In what sense? Well, I, I can just tell that they aren't equal. Um, but they, so they have that egalitarian impulse, which is the, which is the heart of left-wing um, ideology. The heart of left-wing ideology is egalitarianism. The heart of right-wing ideology is, is hierarchy. Um, the two are in, in opposition in that sense. Um, but then uh, they, but they also have this imperialist universalist impulse where they want everyone to be equal, which also means they want everyone to be equal. They want borders to be expanded out over everything. This, that's part of the, the left-wing um, thought is this uh, having, to, having to break down borders between things. So borders between, like physical borders between countries or between states, um, but then even like borders between concepts or borders between ideas. Uh, ultimately, um, what makes a civilization is the, the borders that create the structure between ideas, between words, between thoughts, between actions, um, between people, between um, uh, companies, between buildings. Like these, the structure comes from, from having borders. And um, when you have borders, you're naturally going to have hierarchies. 
um, because you'll have different competencies and you'll have different, um, different decisions, different behaviors. Um, and so the, the left-wing impulse is flatten everything, remove all borders, remove all hierarchies, have a completely level playing field across all, all aspects of everything. And then the right-wing impulse is retain the structure, retain the order, retain the hierarchy, because you have to have law. You have to have um, the, the order that comes from, from law, because you can't have freedom, you can't have liberty unless you have law. Um, so this, this kind of gets back into Moldbug stuff again, where he, he calls it a pronomian and antinomian, that the right wing is pronomian, the left wing is antinomian, you know, no, nomian being um, law or like, and, and law in this sense being anything that uh, it, it's, whether it's an actual codified law or if it's like tradition, um, tradition is also a form of law. Um, it's a it's a it's a set of of behaviors that are that's agreed upon by society that, that that functions to keep society together. And so these people they have tradition as as well. Um, their tradition though is one of um, of this constant pursuit of egalitarianism. Um, and so that ends up being their religion. Their religion is um, is is a, a worship of it's it's ultimately a worship of the self. They they say you know I worship myself. And I think that that um, as an individual, myself is is sacrosanct, and everyone else's selves are all sacrosanct. And so all of ourselves all need to be equal, and um, we all need to be completely level and egalitarian. Um, so the, so that's like an answer to your question. Um, religion is um, a fundamental constituent of the human psyche, and whether you have a formal religion where um, you have a church and you have a specific set of doctrines or beliefs. Um, or whether you have kind of an informal religion, such as the one that um, is, is basically ruling us today, that has its own doctrines. Um, it has its own blasphemies. It has its own original sin. It has its own, um, you know, set of uh, of um, like what you can do to achieve salvation. It has all of these all of these same um, aspects. It just so happens to be. It, it's such a bizarre thing. It's a atheistic religion. Um, so to, to quote Lobuck again, he calls he says that we're ruled by an atheocracy, um, and I think that's probably the best the best description of it that I've ever heard. It's a theocracy with no with whose god is no god, hmm. um, and so ultimately, when you have no god, you'll um, you'll replace yourself. You'll you'll plug yourself into that hole. Um, that's 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 the that's kind of a principle of most religions, um, but I think it's very much um, apropos in this case that um, the the American government religion is a worship of the self. It's an, an elevation of the individual will to, um, to the, to, to sanct, to the, the position of, of sacrosanct, um, like deification. Um, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is, that, you know, it's not some vast conspiracy theory, like some, uh, evil comic book character from the top is controlling the world, but instead they, they kind of, guides you on a ground level down, down a path that kind of leads you to this end conclusion where um, where they, they get more power um, for themselves. Um, do you yeah, we... I, think there are, I think there are evil shadowy figures. Um, sure. And I think that, I think that ultimately they're governed by some sort of kind of a metaphysical force that, um, that kind of occupies their will and, 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 and pulls them um toward a specific direction. And I don't know if that force is just some sort of an outworking of 
quantum mechanics or some sort of a law of physics that we haven't completely discovered yet or um you know I, I don't know exactly what it is but i know that there's there's some sort of a of a of a force that is is um informing their behavior and that's that's trying to guide them and pull them toward specific outcomes where they're almost like they're instinctive like um like bees in a hive like if you go ask the bee the bee doesn't know why he's doing what he's doing he's just doing it. it's his instincts right and humans are kind of the same way you know if you ask the individual human why he's doing what he's doing he's not necessarily going to have a an explanation for it but he's being guided by his instincts well what are those instincts where do those come from those instincts are are some sort of a metaphysical force that is is guiding and informing and, and, and nudging and pushing them in a specific direction. And then you get a whole bunch of different people and they all have instincts. Those instincts are all sort of working together. And so, um, you, you know, it's going to be working toward a specific end. So then it, it starts getting kind of where there's almost, it's not a necessary distinction as to whether there's an actual person that's governing it, governing it, or whether it's a specific, if it's one of these metaphysical forces, it's going to manifest the same way and it's going to impact the world in the same way. Um, you know, whether you can trace it back to a person or just trace it to a, to some sort of metaphysical force. That's interesting. And as far as like culture, when you look at from the, you know, post-World War II until now with, with music, with television, um, everything really across the board has really just taken a huge, uh, you know, godless approach into everything. It's, you're not allowed to have any sort of um, God in schools or anything. Uh, television is basically softcore porn that kids are watching. Um, the music is about the same. Um, and then you go from the fifties where, you know, Elvis shaking his hips on the stage was something that parents were up in arms about um, rightfully so. I mean, this is the first time they'd seen that. And they, they knew that once you start the momentum going that way, it, it only goes one direction. Um, then you get through the rock and roll era where it's all sex, drugs, rock and roll eighties, where it's cross-dressing and then you get to Britney Spears. And now we got Miley Cyrus getting naked on stage every night. Um, <laughs> and this is what kids are brought up. Like from the time they're 10 to 12, these are their role models. And it is, I always found that fascinating that that is parents will just blindly kind of let their kids do it. Cause all the other kids are doing it. it it's, it's such a weird phenomenon um, that I've always kind of observed just cause I've, I've always been kind of going against the stream on all that. I, I was, you know, listening to classic rock and stuff when I was, you know, in high school and everyone else is listening to this gangster rap and everything. And I was like, guys, this is like not, not good stuff. This is really just negativity you're putting into your, to your, your mind. Um, but what kind of impact do you think that has on, on, uh, on kids and what, and how valuable of a tool is that for them to, to keep pushing and lowering and lowering the bar with everything you see and hear? It's a, it's, this, it's a kind of a manifestation of the same thing. It's a, if you can, if you can break down the moral fiber of, uh, of a society, they're much easier to control because that, that moral fiber is um, the, the ties that bind the society together, that gives it meaning, that gives it direction. Um, and if you're wanting to take that society in a different direction, then you need, to, you need to give that society a different meaning. So in order to do that, you have to first break down the meaning that it already has. And uh, as I was saying a second ago, the, the, the God of our society is the self. It's a worship, worship of the self, an elevation of um, one's own will or one's own desires. Um, and 
so toward that end, you know, they've, that's what all of this stuff is. All of this stuff is ultimately traced back to a, a worship of the self. And, and it's again, a thing that I don't necessarily think is, there's aspects of it that are deliberately orchestrated. Um, if you listen to someone like Edward Bernays, um, the, who's like the father of modern propaganda, um, he, he was one of the, one of the first, like the first people to really use um, like like uh, propaganda techniques on uh, like through marketing and through ad campaigns and stuff on uh, the American public in the 20th century. And uh, what's interesting is I think his nephew, I believe, was the first CEO of Netflix. Oh, really? Um, it's very interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's hmm. kind of an interesting connection there. I feel like that can't be. Um, irrelevant. There has to be some sort of a, of a, of an impact there. The thing that he was really, um, the, the most famous example of his, his techniques was, um, Edward Bernays techniques, that is, was his torches of freedom campaign that he did. That's one of the most famous ones, um, where, uh, he got, he made it become very, very popular for women to smoke cigarettes by, um, calling them torches of freedom. And then the, the ad campaign showed them smoking and made it all glamorous and they were, and framed it as, um, torches of freedom. And so he was, Edward Bernays wrote a lot about how, um, how easy people are to condition and the techniques that you have to use to condition them to, to, um, to basically hypnotize them, to get them into a trance where you can then get them to do anything that you want. Um, so the, that, that sort of impact is kind of what's been filtering through the, through the culture ever since basically what happened around the time of, of world war two around that same time was number one, you needed to have um, a national nationwide political propaganda for the sake of the war. And part of the way that, that FDR um, got, you know, the country through the war was by mobilizing the entire society on an economic war footing and getting the entire society, turning the entire society into a machine that was working toward winning this war. Now, the irony of this is that that is very much a fascist um, ideal, is to turn the society into a well-oiled machine where everybody's a cog in this machine that everyone works, you know, each person has their role and everyone's working toward the greater good of society. That was, the, that was a very fascist principle. And this is why Mussolini and Hitler um, both had a ton of respect for FDR. They all had kind of a, a mutual admiration society thing going on, um, which is which is kind of that, that's blasphemy according to um, the you know the set of beliefs that we're supposed to have. But just you know, do a little bit of searching around, and you'll discover that it's true. They spoke very fondly of each other throughout the 30s. Um, so, but ever since then, our country has been on an economic war footing ever since World War II. We basically in effect, we've been permanently at war ever since World War II. So in order to accomplish that, you have to keep a firm grip on the psyche of the, the, the collective American psyche. You have to keep a firm grip on that to keep it from wandering because you need to keep people focused. You need to keep people directed and occupied. You don't want them, you know, getting, uh, you know, kind of losing the plot. You want them, you know, plugged into what's going on. You want to keep them controlled. Um, and then, the other thing is that right around that same time was you had TVs really becoming a, a widespread thing. You know, in the 50s and in the 60s, you get TVs in everyone's house. And um, the, it, it's funny, this, this sounds kind of like boomer humor a little bit, but I think it actually, there's a lot of truth to it that, um, a, that a television is a, it, on a television, you have programming. 
-hmm. And the programming comes through channels. And I, I think it's not an accident that that terminology is used because it actually has that effect on the psychology of, of, of the people that watch it. If you, there's something about the nature of the screen with the stuff that's happening on it that like, your brain can't distinguish between reality and what you're seeing on. So if you watch a movie and you see someone get killed in the movie, your brain actually can't tell that you didn't just watch someone actually get killed. Your subconscious, to, to your, as far as your subconscious is concerned, you just watch someone get killed. Um, so it actually, is, and, and, and watching people get killed gives people PTSD. Um, it's something that are, are, we're not really wired to handle very well. So I, I, I think there's this kind of as, as an aside, I think there's probably a lot of cases of genuine PTSD that's undiagnosed just for people that just sit and watch TV all the time. Um, but it, it, it takes your, it, the stuff goes straight directly into your subconscious. Um, when you're sitting and watching, looking at a screen where stuff is happening, you're watching a video or movie or something, it gets you into, if I, if I remember right, I think it gets you into theta brainwaves, which is the, the same um, brain position that hypnotists get you into when they're trying to hypnotize you. And so when you're sitting there, you're literally hypnotizing yourself with what you're watching and it's going straight direct, it's bypassing your conscious mind and going straight into your subconscious mind and it's programming what you're thinking. And so this is all happening all at the same time. So you have this economic war footing and then you have the TV coming in and you have people like Bernays and then people like Walt Disney and some of these other people who are, who are all very invested in, they were realizing the power of the technology that they had. And uh, they were of course politically connected. And so you have people who are striving for political power through um, both through electoral politics and through like the newly created CIA and the FBI, realizing that the power of all of this and their ability to, to really frame and control the American mind. And they realized that if they could control the American mind, then they could control the American political system. You know, in, in, a, in, a, in an ostensible democracy, whoever controls the, the mind of the voters controls the election outcomes. And if you control the election outcomes, you control the structure of the government. And so you ultimately become the government. And that kind of brings and, us to where we are today. Exactly. And so all of this was, there's, there's, there's an element of it being deliberate, um, but not necessarily, I think to some people, I think you have some people who definitely were able to put all the pieces together and, and kind of foresee what was coming. But then in a lot of cases, it's just a confluence of, of incentives. Yeah, that, I mean, sex sells. That right. tale exactly. is this time. There was some caveman that sold more rocks than another caveman because he used a woman. Right. Just, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then just, people want to make money. So yeah. if they're if they're just trying to if they're just trying to make money, they're like, well, we're going to use whatever works. Well, what works is sex. You mm -hmm. know, it just so happens that it also works for other things. And so a lot of these, a lot of conspiracies are actually true, but they're not necessarily a conspiracy. They're just a confluence of incentives. Everyone's incentives all working together to create this specific outcome that has all the hallmarks of a conspiracy, but it wasn't necessarily you know, it wasn't a shadowy guy in a dark room that put it all together, even though there also are shadowy guys in dark rooms putting stuff together. Um, so yeah, so all of this stuff was all, has wound up kind of working its way out to where we are today. And I think a lot of it was planned, a lot of it was conditioned. And then a lot of it, I think was just kind of um, organic or emergent. And, and that's where I come back to this kind of metaphysical force that I feel like stuff that's just organic or emergent is, 
it makes me wonder, is this stuff guided by something that's, that's metaphysical, something that like some sort of force that we haven't discovered yet, some sort of a quantum force or you know, something like that, that to us, it looks like magic or it looks like woo woo, or it looks like, you know, something that it, we might just, or, you know, our Western rational minds would just kind of dismiss, but you know, the, the, like magic is just technology we haven't discovered yet. And, um, and, and technology is just the practical application of scientific knowledge. So, so then magic is just the practical application of scientific knowledge. So mm-hmm. ultimately, um, we may not understand how this force necessarily operates, but um, whatever it is, um, I suspect that it's continuing to work toward some kind of a specific direction. And all of us end up just kind of kind of playing a role in, in its desires, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and I feel like... Um you know, the kind of what we said about with it being a religion and kind of God being removed from society is that I think Jordan Peterson describes, you know, like heaven and hell or good as evil or good and evil as a, like a line drip down the center of your body. And on one side is right and one side is wrong. And some people lean towards the wrong on other decisions. And some people try to stay on the right side. Um, and when you have God removed from society, it's like, we kind of become a product of a lot of bad decisions and a lot of bad people and a lot of hedonistic behavior um, and it kind of gets influenced and trickles down to, um, the, you know, the youth and everything. And it just kind of, it, it really seems to go one direction. Like I was saying, um, the bar keeps getting lower with, with our tolerance for sex and, and language and violence. Um, just a lot of things that if you showed any one of these TV shows or pop songs to someone from the 1940s, uh, they would probably have a coronary. It, it's so outrageous, <laughs> but we're just so desensitized to it. And it, it's, um, it, it, really, it makes it very challenging. And I believe you just had your first child. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah well, congratulations. Yep. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, it, it's I my. Uh, <laughs> what's that? I never sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that game. I got, I got uh, twins that are 16 months old, so I haven't slept in a year and a half. Oh, um, but yeah, uh, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, I, it, I'm kind of, um, you know, these are t- pretty hard roads to navigate being a parent in this day and age. Um, you know, I'm 30, so I grew up right, you know, I was my, you know, about 10 years old and the internet really started coming into our house, but I still remember not having the internet. Um, then I look at my kids now who they recognize FaceTime more than they recognize a phone call because my mom FaceTimes them all the time. So that's, Hmm. they know that like, it's like we do a, a corded telephone, um, and it just makes me really wonder what kind of human beings it's going to make out of this generation. It's, it's really fascinating to think of like people talk about like the hockey stick of, of technological progress mm-hmm. where um, the, the, what, what is it? It's, is it Moore's law? I think where um, like the, the increase in, in um, processing capacity for, for chips is it like doubles um, every year or something like that. Um, and so there's this, this exponential uh, dynamic to technology where te- technology is, is advancing exponentially faster and faster all the time. And it's fascinating to think about what, maybe a little scary to think about the effects, like you say, that that has on the human psychology. Like we're getting to the point now where technology is using us more than we're using it. And um, one thing, if you haven't, you might find very interesting would be the uh, read the manifesto of the Unabomber. I just started reading it recently. A friend recommended it. 
And I, uh, obviously I don't sanction the, the stuff that the guy did, but I've never read a better de depiction of the, the current uh, progressive milieu and their, their psychology, the psychology of the elites and the woke scolds and, and uh, the SJW crowd, all of that kind of thing. I've, he, he had it absolutely just nailed. You'll get 20 minutes into it. I, I'm listening to the audiobook on YouTube. You'll get 20 minutes into it and your jaw is gonna be on the floor. Like it'll be, he's perfectly describing the, 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 the current moment. Um, but his, his case, I haven't finished it, but I know that his, that his case was ultimately that, that technology was, was, was evil and that, um, that, that we needed to, to do something about this, this, this exponential technological development that was um, the way that it was gonna be destroying our society. Um, and also, I think that, I think it's, I, I keep coming back to this, to the stuff with Moldbug. I think you, I think you would really enjoy it based on the mm -hmm. stuff that you're talking about here. Sure. Uh, because he, he describes what he calls the Whig view of history. It's not something he calls it. A lot of people have discussed it, the Whig view of history, um, which goes back to the, um, the English um, uh, parliament. You have the Whigs and the Tories. The Tories were the conservatives. They were the, the more friendly to the monarchy, the idea of monarchy. And then the Whigs were the progressives who were um, liberal and, and you know, more egalitarian. And what he identifies and what a number of other people who think similarly to him have identified is this, this steady progression of um, this. It's like the steady leftward march of history. Um, if you take Ben Shapiro and, you know, in 2020 and you were to take him back, like in 2020, Ben Shapiro is, is, is pretty conservative. He's you know, a pretty conservative Jewish guy who, um, you know, generally has pretty conservative beliefs. If you were to take him back to 1920, hundred years ago, he would be very, very liberal compared mm -hmm. to the status quo. And then if you were to take him back to 1820, he'd be like, like radically left wing. And if you're taken back to 1720, he would be like, he would be a witch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what causes that? What's, what's the, how does this, why is it that everything seems to be moving leftward as, as history progresses? And, um, it's been described as the Whig view of history. And there was a, there was a, a famous Tory writer in the 1800s named Samuel Johnson. And he said that, uh, that Lucifer was the first Whig. Um, and I think he said it a little tongue in cheek, but he was, he also meant it seriously that, um, ultimately, um, leftism, progressivism, Whigism, whatever you want to call it, is fundamentally a rebellion against the law. It's a rebellion against order. And the first instance of that was Lucifer rebelling against, if you, you know, from the story from the Bible, Lucifer rebelling against God's law and being thrown out of heaven. And, um, so there's this, this theory that essentially that was what kicked off this steady leftward progression. And so then there's another theory that it's actually, this is the political, the political, social, cultural manifestation of entropy, um, of, of the actual, the, um, the actual scientific effect of entropy, that it's being manifested politically in this steady um, degradation of of moral fiber, of, uh, of unity, of um, but basically every positive thing you can think of within the within the society, the culture is being kind of steadily eroded and degraded, and that this is actually the the effect, the technical effect of entropy on our on our social bonds and on our psychology. Um, I think it's a really fascinating thought, a really like a really fascinating idea. Um, 
so yeah, so it's, it's, you, you see this steady progression and once you recognize this, like once you, once you start zooming out, this is where I was saying earlier that I think that libertarians, conservatives, I think that they've, they've gotten themselves embedded in a worldview that they don't realize they're embedded in. Like they're, they're playing on the playing field that's been outlined by their enemies, by the people who, uh, who, you know, whose, whose ideology they're rebelling against. Um, Cause one thing is if you're, if you identify like libertarians don't really have an identity, like they say their, their identity is freedom or liberty or something like that, mm. but that's not actually a thing. That's just a, that's an absence of a thing. Um, you, they don't have something that they're actually standing for that they're actually advocating for. They're like, well, you know, we're going to take over the, take over the government, leave you alone or something like that. Like that's not a thing. Um, HL Mencken said that, that uh, the average man doesn't want liberty. He wants security. And that's yeah. the, that's the case for the majority of people. They don't, when you say I want Liberty, they freak out. They don't, they think that that's a bad thing. And so if you say that I want Liberty for you, like, I don't want Liberty. I want security. I want someone to take care of me. I want someone to protect me. I want someone who I can offload all of my difficult decisions and all of my, my own protection and safety. I want to offload that to someone else and have them take care of me. This is why any system of, of, of government that's representative like this, like the, the, any type of democracy where people have a say in their own governance will always degrade into this progressive leftism. It will always wind up that way. It's a fundamentally left-wing system of government that will essentially always wind up in communism because of this nature of human psychology. So how deep of an understanding do you think are, like the, the founding fathers had when they outlined the constitution uh, about... The psych- Some of them psychology. had a deep understanding of it, like Alexander Hamilton. Alexander mm-hmm. Hamilton had a really deep understanding of this. This is why, are you familiar with Michael Malice? Yes. This, this is why he's a big fan of, of, of why he calls himself the Hamiltonian, because um, Hamilton advocated for a monarch because he recognized this, this phenomenon. And, um, the, and the, the founding fathers, almost to a man, were anti-democracy. They just thought that, that they would be able to control it in a way that if they, if they created an elaborate enough of a Rube Goldberg machine with these different checks and balances, that ultimately they would be able to keep government limited. But the problem is government is the limit. Government is supposed to be what limits. Government is the law. The law is what limits. The law is the expression of order. You need to have, you need to have order to have, a, like you don't have a civilization until you have order. Once you have order, once you have a law, then you start having a civilization. And that is what government is supposed to be an expression of that, that, that we're going to institutionalize the law, we're going to institutionalize order, and we're going to put limits on it and then have it govern itself. The problem is if government is the thing that limits, then if you have limited government, whatever's limiting the government is itself the government. Sure. And then in our case, in, in, in some like a democracy, any type of, of democratic uh, system of government or Republican, um, it's the people who are limiting it. So then, but then you have the government to limit the people. Like that's the reason you have the government in the first place is because the people can't be trusted without being limited. But then if the people are the ones limiting it, then the people are limiting themselves. So then why do you need, why do you need the government in the first place? So what, what has happened is they've created this elaborate bureaucracy of all these, it's, it's a way, what it's become, what the American government has become is a way for 
people to take power without accountability. And that's what corruption is. Corruption is power without accountability because power and responsibility are, are the exact same things. If you're the one with the responsibility, you're the one with the power. If you're the one with the power, you're the one with the responsibility. Corruption is when people have power, but they don't have responsibility. The buck doesn't stop with them. And that's the system of government that was set up. I don't think it was intentional necessarily, but that's been the effect that people who are within the system of government are perpetually able to pass the buck off to someone else. And so power isn't formalized with the people who actually have it. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting too. Um, it's, I hear a lot of people on the left always, they, they demonize any one in the private sector, any, any business owner, uh, Jeff Bezos or Sam Walton, anyone who's like made it to the top tier of capitalism and they've got an extraordinary wealthy, but they've offered a life-changing service. They bring down the goods and cost of food to low-income areas all across the country and world. And, and like Amazon saves you time. You can sit in, on your couch at 2 a.m. and do your Christmas shopping without driving to the store um, and get it like 10 minutes after you order it. But then he becomes evil and they want to they come to his house with pitchforks and, and burn him down for having too much money. Whereas you have politicians that um, like Biden, who, you know, clearly has been embezzling millions or even billions of dollars from uh, foreign adversaries. What on the uh, as a, a, someone who works for the people, but there's very little outrage because it's like, well, he's in government, so he's you know he's one of us. He's good. It's not an evil rich guy who has six thousand employees running a business. Um, mm-hmm. What is that phenomenon that makes someone in the government they, they they view through a different light in their cathedral or religion? That's a good question. I think it's probably that they. I think that particular case just kind of comes down to partisanship and them not wanting to, um, they recognize that if they acknowledge like that, that's a, that's like a Pandora's box that you don't want to open up. If you acknowledge that there's corruption there with him and that you have to, you know, that they can't support or endorse him because of that, then it's like, okay, well, what about this guy? And 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 pretty soon your entire worldview is coming unraveled. And so, um, humans are very, very resistant to our worldview coming unraveled. Um, we will endure monumental loads of cognitive dissonance to avoid having our worldview come unraveled. We will, we will adopt the most paradoxical, irrational beliefs just to avoid having to confront the possibility that we might have a worldview that isn't adaptive, that doesn't, um, that doesn't fit with, that doesn't comport to the actual real world and that doesn't, uh, doesn't lead us to the truth. Um, but what's interesting is that on the flip side, you'll have conservatives, Republicans, libertarians who will be all up in arms about, um, about Joe Biden and the corruption and the, the, the stuff that he's done. But then they kind of just ignore the stuff that, that maybe let's use Jeff Bezos. They ignore a lot of the stuff that he's done, that he's, you know, the, the, um, the way he's taken over the Washington Post mm-hmm. and um, the way that he's... Uh, like deep in bed with the CIA, with the NSA, with military contractors, um, and the ways that he has has negatively used his wealth. Because libertarians and conservatives have this switch where they're like, "Oh, private sector, it's okay, free market. We, we, we can't have, we can't do anything about the free market." So if you if you're a, a, a private individual, then you kind of you will leave you alone. There's, there, you get that same sort of cognitive dissonance where they're mm-hmm. they're hesitant to criticize him because 
they're afraid someone's going to say, oh, well, we're going to have to, we're going to have to regulate it. And then they're going to have to confront that, that aspect of it. And um, so you get these two forces of, of, of people who are, um, you know, the whole country kind of broadly falls into one of these two camps approximately. And they're essentially both talking past each other and they're both turning a blind eye to specific dynamics that are happening. And they've both um, reduced the, the scenario in front of them. They've, they've, they've oversimplified it and reduced it to something that doesn't necessarily comport to reality. So on the, you know, on the left, you have the people like you described who are just, oh, it's all, it's all capitalism's fault. And, um, you know, it's all the evil businessmen and the, the rich, wealthy people who are, who are destroying the country. And then on the other side, you have, oh, it's all government's fault. It's all the politicians. It's all the, all the bureaucrats and everything. It's all their fault. They're the ones who are destroying mm -hmm. everything. And both of those um, heuristics that people are using, both of them don't work. Both of them are, they're, they're bad tools for understanding the world. It's the, the problem isn't big businesses and the problem isn't governments. The problem is people, people, whether they're in government or in big business, people who um, have power and influence that they don't necessarily deserve or that they're abusing and them not being held accountable for the things that they're using their power and their wealth and their influence for. Right. And, um, and both sides are willing to run cover for their side as long as someone's going after the other side, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, what ends up happening is that collectively everyone's running cover for all of the people who have the wealth, the power, and the influence with the, the, the evils that they're perpetrating upon society. And it comes back to, again, us not having an objective standard and, or a, or a well-developed moral fiber in society where we're able to freely call out that's evil. That's not, you know, this is, this mm -hmm. person is doing something evil he's having a negative impact. He's hurting people through what he's doing. Um, you know, no matter what, there's always going to be someone who's willing to go to bat for that guy because um, someone's, when you're going after someone like that, you're threatening someone's belief system and someone doesn't want to have their belief system threatened. But it ultimately comes down to power and um, the fact that we have a system set up in this country right now that deformalizes or informalizes power um, that takes... Uh, that, that, that gives people power without holding them to account for the power that they have. Um, and I think that that's another thing that's probably somewhat naturally emergent because everyone's, people are always trying to shirk responsibility. It's kind of a normal human instinct. So people who have the most power are going to have the greatest ability to try to shirk their responsibility. So I think that kind of just naturally happens. Um, but then I also think that it's a, uh, that there's a, uh, um, Kind of a concerted effort for it that people there's people who've realized how the game works and they've realized that they can they can play the game in such a way to remove responsibility from themselves and be able to profit without um whether profit financially or profit you know politically or profit in some way um without paying the price for um for that uh, that, that profit that they're getting um and so as long as as long as people are still trapped by these bad ideas, by these 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 ideologies that don't work, that have all of these flaws, um, you know, it, it, everything's kind of just going to continue. And then, depending on your worldview, if you if you come from like a Christian background or something, it could be that this is just um, this is the nature of the world, and it's just going to keep getting worse until eventually, you know, Jesus returns or you know whatever whatever your right. your belief system is. Um, it's possible that this something this isn't something that's necessarily fixable. 
Um, but I, I do think that, I think ultimately whether it is actually fixable or not, I think that there's a lot of meaning and a lot of, of um, a lot of positivity to be found from trying to fix it, from putting yourself, putting your mind toward it and, um, you know, first fixing yourself, but then having, I think that there's a lot of meaning to be found toward attempting to solve these problems and attempting to come up with ways to better the world by offering better systems and better ideas that, um, that just work better. Sure. And we've run a little bit long, but I did have one more question for you, just so we could hopefully on a positive note. Um, do you think there's any sort of pendulum swing coming back? Um, against the the radical left right now i mean when you see like netflix going too far with that cuties uh documentary and they had an 800 percent decrease of subscribers because of that um and when you see um kind of the the groundswell for the the, the trump supporters um showing up to the events even though the media is telling you there is no support but you see these crowds that look like metallica concerts in their prime showing up for <laughs> for trump um is there a backlash coming from the right to, to bring this thing back center at all? Or, or do you think we're on a trajectory to keep going left until we're in the ditch? Um, I think both. I think that, I think both are going to happen. I think that this, that this system is going to crash and burn, um, but there's going to be, you know, kind of a, like a Phoenix rising from the ashes or something. I think there's going to be a, a groundswell of people who, um, break out of the conditioning and kind of they, they like they build the they build the system of tomorrow whatever the next thing is going to be because every empire ends up collapsing and you know from when you're within it it seems like this is the way that things are going to be forever but then you know in hindsight you look back and well the roman empire you know it's gone now um and there's new things that have come up to replace it and british empire is, is essentially gone and you know new things have come up to replace it so there's going to be some other new force that replaces it um, I think that you've, you've pointed out two really interesting things, the, the, the Netflix case and then the response to people, even in the votes um, that, have, that have happened here. Um, obviously, there's all this funny business with Biden, but um, you've seen the, the, um, the Senate looks like it's going to stay in Republican hands, um, despite forecasts of the contrary. And Republicans have not only not lost ground in the House, they've gained ground. And Trump, in particular, gained... The, the only demographic that he lost support in, ironically, was straight white males. Yes. And every other demographic he gained. And to me, it's not the support of Trump that I care about. It's that signal that says people aren't buying what they're being told. That, that signals something very valuable to me. That tells me that, that this conditioning is breaking. People have... have kind of been in a trance for for several decades and the fact that despite this relentless campaign round the clock day after day month after month year after year for the last five plus years despite this relentless campaign about racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and all of this people still turned out in greater numbers than before to vote for the, the the person who the media has tried to establish as the icon of racism and sexism and every phobia known to man. And that, that middle finger to the media is a beautiful thing to me because <laughs> it tells me that people are um, waking up to some extent or another. And I don't think that that means everyone's going to, you know, overnight going to turn into some, 
you know, liberty loving, you know, something. But it tells me that there's progress in the right direction. And I like seeing progress. Um, you, know, I, you know, progress is something that we can work with. Right. So I think that I think that's a really healthy thing that we've seen through all of this. And I think um, to go back political for just a minute, I think that um, where we're seeing this is that Trump was just the beginning. I saw a tweet from a from a right wing guy earlier. Um, he said, I don't think people realize that Trump is us asking nicely. Mm-hmm. If that's you don't so respond to us asking nicely, we're going to stop asking nicely and you're not going to like it. Um, this is, and this is a, this is a a thing that's happened throughout history. It's repeated itself, a cycle where, um, things get bad enough that eventually a right wing, um, authoritarian, powerful figure rises up and sweeps through with the support of the people and takes power and radically transforms things. And I think that that's coming. I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be a person or if it's going to be a personality, um, a conglomeration of persons or, um, an artificial personality. I don't know exactly how it's going to work, but um, I think that that's coming. And I think that liberty-minded people need to be open to that idea because our, our instincts are, oh, authoritarianism is bad. You know, we want to avoid it and we want to try to fight against it. But I think that there's a there's like a biological inevitability to something like that. And I think that it's a necessity um, as a counterbalance to what has happened because politics isn't the end-all be-all. Um, politics flows downstream from culture and the culture is degrading, as you mentioned, rapidly. And that degradation has to be counterbalanced or, um, you know, all manner of evil will, will unfold. And so I think it's going to be counterbalanced by um, some sort of a, of a, of a right wing uprising that restores, um, you know, kind of restores traditional values, respect for traditional values and society built around that, um, which is ultimately um, the, t- the only type of society within which liberty can prosper. Liberty can only prosper within a society that, that has a, a coherent, um, a, a coherent uh, set of values and an established order that, um, that, that governs, a stable order that governs, that, ev- that is predictable, that, ev- that treats everyone equally and fairly, and uh, that... Um, that, that, that we, you can predict, that you can work with and you can predict and you know how to, how to go about your life. So um, if you want liberty, ultimately you're gonna have to have order and to have order, you're gonna need a, um, a kind of a cultural cleansing of the, of the society. So I think that's something that's coming and that, that liberty-minded people would do well to recognize that it's coming, recognize that it's, inevit- and it's an inevitability and position yourselves accordingly and don't, don't fight yourself. Don't fight it necessarily, because by fighting it, you're aligning yourself with the very forces that despise you. Sure. Yeah. And I heard Dave Smith say the same thing that you mentioned about a right wing authoritarian figure being in 2024. Like Trump was going to be the he was the like the light version of, of what right. you're of what you're going to get. And they had me thinking all day. And I was like, that, that does make a lot of sense because you, you can take Trump out of office. But there's 73 million people that you just stole their. Um, well, not, it's not done yet but likely stole the election from when, you know, there's a lot of questions that aren't being answered, much like the Hunter Biden scandal, um, the Russia hoax. It's like the, a lot of people, they've, they've created a, a lot of people to their opposition by, by what they've done to, to get Trump overthrown. Right. Um, and it, it is going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I just fear we don't go 
too far left authoritarian before before we have a correction um so yeah let's keep me awake at night <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm i'm in the same boat i'm i'm really hoping that um I'm hoping that this winds up working out and, and Trump manages to, to secure re-election. I still, I'm still optimistic that he's going to. Um, as far as in a court, you think, or do you think they're going to call the states for him? I think that, I think that the states are ultimately, I think that he's going he's gonna to achieve close to it, close to the number of votes, maybe all of them, I'm not sure. And then it's going to go to the court. And, and I suspect that... Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't completely have a, a clear picture of exactly what's going to happen. It's Nobody kind of just does. a gut. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of just my gut. My gut just tells me that this is, this is how um, it feels like that's what the narrative is building up toward. It doesn't feel like the narrative is building. If you're thinking of this as like a movie, what you, what would you, what would you expect in the movie? Um, I think you would expect that it's going to get to the point where it seems completely hopeless and all is lost. And there's going to be a bomb dropped and something dramatic is gonna happen. Um, and so, you know, my, my hope has been that Trump, I, I voted for Trump. And the reason I voted for him is because I, I see the potential for left-wing authoritarianism and for left-wing, um, you know, major crackdown um, very much over the next four years if you wind up with a president Kamala Harris. Yeah. And that's Sorry, I'm interrupt. Yeah, I did the same thing. Actually, I want to touch on that. I um I didn't vote in 2016 either. I heard you say that on Stapleton show. Um, but but this time around, I was like, you know what? I want to give that big middle or orange middle finger to these COVID alarmists, to the climate alarmists, to all yep. the radical left trying to indoctrinate my kids. Like, he's just he's the only voice you have to just shove it back at them. Um, right. and it wasn't a lesser of two evils. It was like almost a. I don't know if call Trump good, but it's like a good versus evil in yeah, comparison. Yeah. Yep. I think I think he's good to the extent that he is um he has positioned positioned himself in opposition to the greatest evils, um, mm-hmm. the, the most influential evils in the world right now. And so right. so yeah, I, I felt the same way. I didn't have any I didn't have any qualms at all. I very gladly circled that little uh filled out that little dot and uh and submitted that ballot. But the reason I did it was because ultimately I don't think that we're ready. I don't think that that the American culture is ready for how bad a left-wing authoritarian is a left-wing authoritarian um, rule under a Kamala Harris would be mm-hmm. because um, it would, I, I think it could get genuinely pretty bad within four years. And I think that, I think people are now, especially the way that this has gone, I think it's really woken a lot of people up to just how bad things are, that there is no going back. And in fact, things need to change this, this system of government, there's no res- resolving what's going on. Things are gonna have to change. There's gonna have to be something different because there's never gonna be another election. There's not gonna be, I mean, th- there may be elections but they're never gonna be the same. It's never, there's never gonna be any trust. There's never gonna be any just accepting the results as they are. Every every election is gonna be a worse fight than the one before it. And that's 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 a, that's a really bad trajectory and a lot of people are, are, are waking up to that and realizing it. And so for that reason, I want to give us all another four years to be able to, to have people really realize that and kind of be awakened to that reality and start, you know, getting the best minds on focusing on what we're going to build next. What's, what's going to replace this. We need to, we need to build ourselves a life raft and get off this sinking ship. Right. And I don't think that we're ready to, I think, I think that this, the ship is sinking and it will sink um, if Trump doesn't win this election. And so if he, if he's able to, 
um, it'll buy us another four years to, 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 to build one of those life rafts. So yeah. um, that's what I, that's what I'm hoping. And I still, um, I'm still optimistic that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Do you, do you foresee, um, it's kind of my fear. I was thinking today, I, I see it very possible that we may see violence in the streets, regardless of the outcome, um, what happens here um, before Definitely. the end of the year, possibly. Yeah. I mean, it's already happening. They already have these protests that have been, that have been orchestrated and um, there's a shutdown DC thing that's been being planned since 2019 where these activists and operatives and stuff have been orchestrating um, events, planning on shutting down DC and trying to take, you know, if, if necessary, even take the white house by storm and like crazy stuff like this. And they, they're working with, um, with uh, people that are part of the administrative state with federal employees and uh, there's, there's zoom calls have been going around of them planning all of this kind of stuff. And, and I think that we're also getting um, the very same forces that have been um, backing and arming all of the militia groups in the Middle East. I think that, that, that all of that has been, you've had this color revolution stuff from Eastern Europe and you've had all the, 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 you know, the moderate militias or whatever in, um, or the moderate rebels, I think, in the uh, Middle East. Both of those forces have been directed toward the U.S. That both of those forces have been turned. They've, they've, it's like they've, they've practiced and they've honed their skills over there. And now the home front is under assault. And so they've turned it all back here. So um, I think that there's a very good chance that you start getting, getting armed militias who are um, being funded and, and orchestrated toward, um, you know, trying to throw this whole thing into chaos and, and execute some type of regime change and, and radical crackdown and all that kind of thing. I think that's that, that sort of thing is all on the table. So I don't want to be necessarily super alarmist, but that's, that's, that's what I think is the, uh, that's the playing field. These are the players that are operating now. And these are the things that they've done in the past. This is the way that they've operated before. And the stakes are so, so high mm-hmm. here that like you're talking about control of the global government, essentially. And um, with stakes that high, then there's really no reason for them to stop it just about anything. So um, the biggest yeah. thing is, is people just understanding and recognizing that and being able to position themselves to ensure that at the very least, they're not hurt by it. Yeah, I'm picturing, you know, if Trump wins um, or Trump, sorry, if Trump loses, you're going to have the same people that are showing up to these rallies showing up in mass protest because this thing was, there's a lot of questions not being answered. I, you can say it's stolen or whatever. Um, there's just too much suspicious activity. That's, that's just being swept under the rug. Um, and these protests, I can't imagine a world where they're not counter protested with Antifa and BLM. Oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. I right know who's going to throw the first punch. It's pretty predictable. Yeah. It'll be a, yeah. a concrete infused milkshake thrown into a crowd or something. Um, and that's it, just—it's something that's terrifying. Um, you know, I, I hope—I was hoping to never see any anything like that in my lifetime. But I, I really have a hard time seeing something like that not happen. And if Biden wins, um, you know, how how much will the right take and not push back if there's blatant corruption going on and thievery of a of an election? The thing about political violence is it's it's um, asymmetric. So left-wing political violence tends to be like, we've already seen tons of it. We've seen like left-wing political violence almost nonstop for the last year. Right-wing political violence has a lot higher threshold because because right-wing people just kind of by definition, they have more respect for law and order and they fear um, chaos, they fear anarchy. That's why they're right-wing in the first place. They want um, things to be stable and they, they, 
they're much, they have a, a lot, um, uh, a, a lot greater fear of violence. But if you push them beyond their breaking point, if they pass that threshold and they decide to become violent, then their violence is much, much worse. Yeah. So you're going to get lots of lower level violence from left-wing people. Um, and when they, when they crack that seal on right-wing violence, it's going to be a hammer. And people realize that. And this is why the media is, is, is trying so desperately to orchestrate something like this, because then they, they'll control the narrative and they'll frame it as, you know, that this is just, this is, you know, right-wing Nazis that are, you know, they're coming out in, in support of, you know, Trump is, is, is directing them to do yada, yada, yada. That's like, that's, it's, it's such a, it's just a, it's such an easy narrative to run with right away. Um, so like, I, there's no way you're finding me anywhere near any of these types of protests. I'm, there's not a chance. I have, right. It's totally not worth it. And I would tell anybody, don't go, but don't go to them. It's totally not worth it. Let other people fight those battles. Can I agree um, more? This, 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 this fight, if it's going to be won, is going to be won through this type of thing. Um, it's not going to be won through going out and hitting the streets. And, but that, yeah, by that same token, I know that it, I know that there's going to be people hitting the streets and there needs to be people hitting the streets because if the violence is just disproportionate one way, then it's, it ends up just being terrorism. Um, right. and cities just are being terror will be terrorized. They already are. And they're, they're going to continue to be. So, um, yeah, it, it, I, I, I genuinely am kind of at a loss. I said, I said the other day that, um, I think that the odds are significant that we see a presidential candidate getting arrested in the next couple of months. Um, one of them, I don't know who, but oh. I think that we're, we're, we're reaching just completely uncharted territory. Yeah, I, anything's and, possible these days. I, I, right. I, don't know what to expect next in 2020. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. Uh, but hey, we're, we're pushing up against an hour and a half now. So um, yeah, I really appreciate your time, Matt. Um, and hopefully we do this again. I could talk to you for hours more. I just We just got the tip of the iceberg here. Um, totally, yeah. I really enjoyed this. Cool. But yeah, hopefully we'll... Uh, <laughs> hopefully things uh, unfold in a, in a better light going forward here. <laughs> so thanks again. And wait, real uh, yeah. quick, actually, if you want to give a plug for uh, for Stapleton's show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, I'm the co-host of, 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 of Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton. Um, you can find us on on YouTube, on uh, 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 iTunes, any podcast network, you, you can find us there. Um, and then uh, you can also, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, that's where I spend the majority of my Twitter and Facebook. Um, you can probably find me on Facebook if you search the show. You can poke around and you'll find me there. Um, but then uh, on Twitter, I'm at I tweet stuff here. Um, that's where I've been kind of putting a lot of these thoughts lately. Um, so yeah, so follow the show and, and follow me on Twitter, and, and yeah, that'd be my plug. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, man. And okay, done recording.